Jeff, our summer vacation is officially over. We did yeah. not record. We did not record last week because you were on vacation, mm-hmm. and we've had. It, it has been a work has like work has really sucked for both of us in, in the real world jobs. And I know we, yeah. we said this last time, but it's been like a grind. So like right now we are in the middle of a migration. And so anytime you hear the word migration, you just know that means sucks, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you in your real world job, real world job, uh, you launched something that you, your or your company, the Tab Bank, launched mm-hmm. something that you, an idea that you came up with and you pitched and you were kind of the project product manager who designed this whole thing and it is launched and live and you've been working on it for what two years now uh for a while yeah a couple of years and i don't think i can take the credit so i pitched the platform um my boss pitched the specific vendors anyway it was a collaborative effort but yeah i mean this has been but the the idea so it, it, the whole back. Idea so it is a of bank connecting. account. Yeah. Right. So what this is, if you go to it's called Tab Flow, and which it, it's kind of a, a new space for you guys because you are primarily a commercial bank. I mean, you have some personal accounts, but you're the you're the vast majority of your book of business is like trucking in Correct. corporate commercial because your bank is owned by the same people that started Maverick gas station. Start, started flying J and now started, owned Maverick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, that's the world that it's in, but now they've got, you know, you are doing these personal checking accounts where similar to getting cash back on a credit card, you can get uh 1% cash back on all of your debit card purchases, but instead of cash back, you get it in the form of fractional stock shares. So that's pretty cool. There's a lot more upside potential on racking up, you know, McDonald's and Starbucks shares than there is you know, to get a, you know, to, to get a free vacation here or there. So yeah, it's, it's cool. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And the, the thing that's cool about it now, I don't mean to turn this into like, I don't own tab bank. Right. So I don't really care to give them a bunch of free advertising, even though they are my employer, but it is exciting. Like it's a cool product. The, the way that it originally was designed is that flow was supposed to be an acronym. So it, start, it, it stood for like financial literacy, ownership, and I can't remember what the W was. But the idea was that we have an online banking platform now that allows us to connect to all of these other companies like these stock reward companies. And we're going to connect and we'll offer the regular banking stuff that every bank in the world does. But banking is a commodity product. So how do you how do you make banking different, right? Other than rates. That's that's really the only way that anybody can be different. And, and everybody is like a commodity, like any other commodity. You just go to the bank that gives you the best price. That's what people do. But what we thought is, hey, let's take that idea or let's, let's take what we do well, and that's banking. And let's find these other companies that do other things well. Let's tie them into our network and roll that into one account offering. So we're tying in these fractional stock rewards, company by the name of Bumped. Um, think of bump kind of like an acorns or like the, those roundup accounts. They don't mm-hmm. do roundup, but they, they function similarly that they're giving you fractional stock rewards. Uh, we also are partnered with, uh, MX that does a lot of data analytics for us and a lot of like credit insight stuff, you know, stuff that's similar to kind of like what credit karma would do, uh, that help you improve your own financial outlook and your financial future. We've got plans down the road to do things for like kids 
to help you manage your kids' debit cards and set things up for them and, and teach them how to budget. We've got things in the pipeline for uh, paying down student debt faster and, and how to maximize your income so that you're minimizing your long-term payment on student debt. We've got a bunch of different things in the road or down the road that are all kind of contingent on this initial rollout, right? So that happened this week. Pretty excited about it. Um, I will be perfectly honest with everybody. The rewards, the, the way that the cards work and the way you get rewards, that's all working flawlessly. It is also a new online banking platform for us. And so there's still a handful of bugs. We're getting better there. It's not perfect today by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, I think the rewards outweigh the experience hurdles and those experience hurdles are temporary. They'll go away as we fix them. So tabbank.com, go ahead. Go sign up. Sculpt flow. If it sucks and you hate it, it's not my idea. Don't blame me. I, I'm the commercial account manager when it really comes down to it. So I can claim ignorance. Ignorance is bliss. Um, yeah. So it has, yeah, along with our migration, um, I've had people uh, finally landscaped my backyard since Ooh. I moved in like four months ago. So uh had I've had landscapers in my house for the last you know week. So I've been, you know, going out like basically every time they do something, like going out and checking in, make sure they did it the way we want to, whatever. And then we've also had um we've also uh, you know, last night I was sleeping on the floor in the family room next to the kennel because we got a dog. Oh. I tried to get you. I tried to get you to get the dog, as well. <laughs> you could have had wow. sibling puppies, and your wife wanted. <laughs> uh, she did, and so did I, until I thought about it for longer than like ten seconds. It was like, oh, yeah. this this would be really cool, but I've already got a seventy five pound dog. I don't know that I need two. Yeah, so we do have a dog, and he has not uh, exactly jumped into the crate with enthusiasm. So. <laughs> In an effort to uh, prevent the uh, barking, I pulled out like the memory foam mattress topper and laid it down. And I was like, I will just sleep next to it so he can like smell me maybe and will prevent, you know, keep him from freaking out, which helped a lot until the monsoon started and last night. So even though he slept well last night, the lightning was so bright all night long. It was keeping me awake. Mm. And then at about three o'clock in the morning, uh, pork chop woke up and he decided that he was finally big enough to climb out of his crib. And so he climbed out of his crib and I hear his door, the handle on his door shaking and him crying. And that is because he like landed straight on his head on the tile wow. floor. And so then it was just, it has been an absolute day. Um, but, but all of that's behind us now, right? All no of that, more vacations. We don't care. In fact, I wrote earlier this week, what does August 1st mean for me? And it means a hell of a lot of work. It's football season. That means a lot more radio shows. I had to wake up early. So I got a, I got a call. When was this? Monday? I can't remember. I think it was Monday. Actually, I got the call probably Saturday or Sunday. Monday morning, the uh, a radio producer for a I can't even remember ESPN something 720 in Waco Texas says hey Jeff we want to bring you on talk BYU football talk the Big 12 talk the Baylor game in week two would you like to come on the show great love to sure okay cool how's 9:30 yeah that'll work 
they normally, when I go on these radio shows, especially in other states, they give me the courtesy. If they're not going to specify what time zone, they give me the courtesy of doing that translation for me. Uh -oh. And so if they just say 930 with no time zone, that means 930 my time. No, 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 not this time. It was 930 uh, Waco time, which is 730 my time. So I had to be up and like cognizant enough to talk BYU football on the radio at 7.30. Texas is only an hour ahead of us. I think Waco, Waco's too, though. Oh, no. I don't know. Whatever it is, he said 9.30, and I ended up on that no, show. Yeah, no, it's central time in Waco. No, but I don't know. I was on the show at 7.30. Uh, well, maybe he's on vacation. I don't know. It was – who was it that um, – so speaking of shows from Waco, I think a show that has become increasingly popular um, because they have kind of pivoted their brand a little bit is like the uh, 365 Sports if you yeah. go like on YouTube, you, you like if you are a BYU fan, you'll get them constantly. And so it was, they started, it was like Sikkim 365, and yeah. that was their original thing. And they covered Baylor extensively. They, and then the, like they were like an afternoon radio show, like kind of like Ben Criddle's show in the afternoon for Baylor. And then they have kind of nationalized, and now they've got like 50 some odd thousand subscribers. They've got like a live stream show on YouTube every day, doing really well. Anyway, so I did discuss in our last episode, we um, we talked about like TV numbers and whatever, and we we're like, we're going to do this. And so you and I went through and we compiled all of the everything. And I, we're I like, wanna, I'm, well, let's, I'm going to clarify, because while we both probably worked for a close to equal amount of time, you compiled and did all of the analytics from 2012 to 2020. All I did in that same amount of time was have to manually input the data that was on an image file for every game which for 2021, which, which we later really learned I didn't have to do. Which really sucked. And we did learn that uh, Kellen Osborne on the Discord already had that typed up. Yeah. Because yeah. pulling it into the file, um, all the other previous years, there was a table. So even if you like, if you ever see like something that is a table on a website and you're like, oh, I want to grab this. If you go and open up Google Sheets, there is a function called import html and you just put in the url and say you want the table and it will just grab it for you so it's like yeah. that's all i did so it wasn't like i it was not rocket science by any means that i like it. so i went through and did all this and we had it started i did like a couple quick passes and basically established that like anytime the big 12 and the pac 12 are going head to head the big 12 always wins and mm -hmm. the only reason the pac 12 had a slightly higher average viewership is because of Pac-12 After Dark when they were literally the only games on TV. But if you take a couple Pac-12 schools and now you can have those After Dark slots as part of the Big 12, that changes the calculus entirely. And the other biggest factor was the um, the other biggest factor was that the Big 12 just had a crap ton, even though there are only 10 teams, if we took out, or eight teams actually, because I removed Texas and Oklahoma and removed USC and UCLA. So even though it was 10 teams versus eight teams, the big 12 had a way more games on like 50 more games broadcast on yeah. because everything's on the PAC 12 network. So even it's like, if you dummy down and I think even what we even did, it was like, we put the PAC 12 network as like the same numbers as ESPNU, which I feel like is very generous mm -hmm. as the ESPNU game. Um, 
then yeah, it was very like, generous because was most still of the like, carriers don't even have the Pac-12 network. Right. Still. So, but it was like basically sixes, except for the fact that you look at like, okay, well, the Pac-12 is competing with nobody for viewership in their time slot versus like the Big 12 is going head to head with the SEC or whatever. And so it's like to look in, kind of dumb it down. And also the Pac-12 plays more Thursday games, play play more Friday games. So even if you look in, so tying this all back to 365 sports, Sam Bradshaw over at 365, he had, um, he kind of went back and forth with Stuart Mandel a little bit. And that was like the same day you and I were like, we're going to start gathering all this stuff. So I DM'd him and was like, hey, dude, uh, like I'm doing a similar thing. Like I'm going through and doing all, like grabbing all this. If you already have it done, like I'm assuming you got it from Sports Media Watch. Can I grab that from you? Whatever. And he was like, I appreciate his like, but he's like, I've got like seven articles loaded in the barrel that i'm dropping this week that we're going to try to like get national pub to drive more stuff because we're kind of trying to branch beyond baylor and kind of get more and so i was like i oh, dude i appreciate i was like i respect the hustle and that was a lot of work to do that whatever and so he published the first article and someone shared it in our like the on our data channel on the discord and i was like Oh, he literally hit every point that you and I like, because we had gone back and forth of like, what were the list of things that we'd want to check where we feel like, you know, where we need a sanity check on this, whatever, like it's probably true. What are all, all of our hypotheses? And he literally hit on all of them. So I was like, I'm not going to steal his thunder. So we will push the article for Sam. And then I talked to him. He is on vacation this week, but we're going to get him on the show next week to talk about it. And I don't, Yes, it will be like two weeks after people were arguing about TV numbers, but I feel like TV numbers are not going to go away because tomorrow is the end of the Pac-12's exclusive negotiating window with ESPN and Fox. So, and this realignment thing is not going to go away anytime soon. Um, so that is why I know we promised that article. And, but the reason that has not come out yet is because Sam did a fantastic job and there's no reason for us to reinvent the wheel when we can just give the credit where it's due to our, a fellow Big 12 brother in arms. Yeah, and they did a great job with it. But I I, I, I mean, you, you hit on it. The time slot and the network. Outside of like Michigan, like Michigan, when Michigan played on the Big 10 network, they had a couple of games that they drew at or close to a million viewers. That's the only time the Big 10 network, with the exception of Ohio State, it's the only time that that network came anywhere near that number. Every time, every other game that was on the Big Ten network, 200, 300, maybe 400,000 viewers. A couple got up to like five or 600 that were two ranked teams. But other than Michigan and Ohio State, nobody really was driving numbers for the Big Ten network. So, and, even, and even then, when we looked at it, we're like, okay, it's close if you look at just numbers, like straight up averages. But then if you like compare like in the afternoon time slot, the biggest thing in, let me go back and find this actually, um, because it really kind of hits on it. Yeah. So if you look at it, there's uh, two thirds of the Pac-12 time game, the two thirds of Pac-12 games kicked off at nine Eastern or later. And it looks like this big jump, whatever, but it's, um, there's, it looks like seeing, but in the late afternoon, like where, which is like the, what, like the, it's like the five o'clock Eastern time gate or like the six Eastern time zone, like three mm -hmm. o'clock um, mm -hmm. Pacific. So it's like, yeah, the big 12 or the pack 10, 12 averaged 1.8 million viewers on those games versus the big 12 averaging 1.6. 
except for the Big 12 had 45 games going up against Big 10 and SEC things, and the Pac-12 only got aired 11 times in the late afternoon. And of those, like almost all of them, um, so there were 28 total, or sorry, 28, uh, it was 52 to 28. That's what it was. So it was 52 to 28, but of those 28 uh, times that the Pac-12 was aired in the three Pacific slot, 17 of them were Oregon. Yeah, and that's like it, so it, much of it. And so it literally is like Oregon is the whale that is left. And it's like, yeah. if you take it out, it's like everything just craters. And it's basically, it's like when there is some chicken and egg to it, because it's kind of like, well, is something getting good numbers because it's on a good channel or is it getting on a good channel because they know it'll get good numbers, right? So there is some like chicken and egg to that, but it really goes show it's like, they could be pulling, they could be displacing the Big 12 and putting the Big 12 on like FS2 and putting more Pac-12 games on ESPN and ESPN2, but they are not doing that. They're actively saying like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to yeah. push them more. And even if, and then it's like the Pac-12 network, they're still even on the late slots, they're still not picking up enough games because even if you look at it, like there's times, there's a lot of games where it's like, BYU is playing a Mountain West school on ESPN2 and there's a Pac-12 conference matchup on ESPN that kicked off at the same time and there's like a 50,000 viewer difference. Right. So like it so is So it's it's pretty it, it's pretty wild. I mean the Big 12 if you look at it objectively it's close, right? Like the numbers are close. I think the Big 12 has the edge recently uh historically I think it is pretty close. But here's here's kind of the the thing that has been missed is you've watched, and we'll, we'll kind of get into this as a good transition into our next subject, but as you watch all of these Pac-12 media guys argue with the Big 12 bloggers, because apparently that's what, you know, Canzano and John Wilner, that's what they become as they argue with bloggers on the internet now. Uh, I guess when you're feeling insecure, you try to find somebody who's smaller than you to take them out, and that's just the way it goes. But as you watch all of this argument unfold, there is this huge piece to the argument that is not being discussed by those gentlemen. They are comparing the Pac-12 against the Big 12, straight up. That's not the comparison. That's not it. The comparison is the Pac-12 as it exists without USC and UCLA or the Big 12 plus a few Pac-12 schools. Like that's the real comparison. And we should be looking at TV ratings of the Big 12 with Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado, because that's what the argument from any Big 12 person is, is that, hey, the Big 12 is more stable. Pac-12 schools, if you come to the Big 12, this is a better place to be. And the argument is not, hey, come to the Pac-12 because this is the stable footing. Because nobody in their right mind believes that. Because everybody knows that Oregon and Washington are just biding their time until they hopefully get in. And all it would take is one call from Kevin Warren tomorrow afternoon, and the Pac-12 is kaput. And it sounds like a stupid thing to use as a badge of honor, but the Big 12 has been rated. The Big 12 is not going to be rated anymore. And you could say, well, that that means you don't have any brands worth rating. Well, 
sure, okay, fine. Like I, I hear you, but even without brands worth rating, it's still a conference that the TV ratings nobody are about is, the same. Nobody is going to rate eight teams. It's you're saying, okay, you have two brands worth rating and then eight really, really crappy brands. And the big 12 is currently like 12 middle of the road brands. It's like, right. And, and so that's why it's stable is because it's, everyone is very similar and it's like in the same ballpark instead of two extremes, right? Like there is no, like there is no Oregon state of the big 12 because even the, that Oregon state is Kansas, but Kansas still has Kansas basketball. Right. Exactly. Like I mean, there the is 12... no, like there is, yeah, there is no, you know, there is no like think, think about this bottom think about dweller this, that is giving zero value to the conference. So let's take the Pac-12, put you USC and UCLA in the Pac-12 for a minute. Let's go back in time a little bit to the Big 12 10 years ago. The Big 12 has lost in the last decade and change. The Big 12 has lost Texas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Missouri, Nebraska, and Colorado. And yet, even having lost those six schools, they are in a position that at worst, they're only slightly less than the Pac-12, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's what Wilmer right. is arguing. Right. And so let's go to the Pac-12. Okay, they are losing USC and UCLA. Those are two big brands. Take away the next four biggest brands in that conference. Oregon, Washington, fine. Stanford, Cal. Take those away. That conference isn't surviving. But the and, Big 12 has survived, and they have been able to. It's happened. The timing of the Big 12 being rated, it happened early enough that the Big 12 was in a position that they could take the best of the rest and fortify themselves for the future. Right. Nobody's and, left to take. And, and that's what we, when we talked about that, too, on the Discord this week. is like, because someone brought it up. It's like, if you look around, it's like, okay, so even you look at who the Big 12 has lost. And then who they've added, right? It's when you look at the budget, it's like, hey, you added UCF, who went to back-to-back BCS games or and New Year's Six games, has been to three New Year's Day Bowls in the last decade. They have the largest enrollment of any within 10 years. They are projected to have more alumni than any university, other university in the country, and they're in Florida. You look at Houston, that's got billionaire Tillman Fertitta as their donor. Like, yes, they are a commuter school that's kind of got some fair weather fans, but they have a brand new on-campus stadium. It's a good vibe. It is a growing kind of, you are banking that kids will not want like Houston versus Texas Tech. Like Texas Tech's going to lose a lot of those recruiting battles now that they are there, in the same place. There is not a lot of difference other than Houston has a couple of billionaires in their pocket. There's not a lot of difference between Houston in 2022 and Utah in 2010. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a commuter school. Like it's fine. Like good regional academics. If you go get, if you go to school there, you're going to get not have a hard time getting a job. Like they have some good programs. They have some med programs and like they have had some good success, whatever. But then you also, and then Cincinnati who, not only were they in the Big East, they immediately became one of the best teams in the Big East. They won it in multiple years. They went to multiple BCS games as a member of the Big East. They got screwed in conference realignment, didn't get the ACC invite, didn't get a Big 12 invite. And now they are back. And it's like they have been there. And not only have they been there, it's like that is probably my biggest what if. And, and 
were you when did you go on your mission 2007 seven so uh, you, eight beginning okay, of 2008. So, so you missed the 2009 season so i don't know if you did so in the so 2009 texas with colt mccoy played alabama in the bcs national title game okay texas in the in cincinnati was ranked number three and went to the sugar bowl that year after winning the big east mm-hmm. texas had lost to nebraska in the big 12 conference championship game and then they reviewed it because mac brown called for a review and they reviewed it and put one second back on the clock and texas made a game-winning field goal as, with time expiring mm. and so if that had not happened Cincinnati would have been playing for a national championship. And then I don't think West Virginia probably doesn't end up in, I mean, how do you leave out a team that just played Bama in the BCS national title game? Right. And so it's, there was, it's like Cincinnati has been there. They have been pushing for the last decade. And then obviously BYU is BYU with our like fandom global fan base, the infrastructure that we have, whatever. And it's like, who are you going to take if you are the Pac-12? Like there is no, like you can take Boise. Sure. They've had some, well, they've had success under two coaches. And then it's TBD. If Avalos is going to keep that going at any, I, they will never ever be able to have the same success that they had under coach Peterson. And so they, well, they're going and it's like, what you're going to take Fresno. You're going to take. San yeah. Diego's. I mean, that's like, that's those the schools are all them. fine. They're fine, yeah. but they're, they have no fan support and they do not have the money and like the support or the viewership that these, the other, like the programs of the big 12 got. The, the, the Pac-12 has spent the last 50 years establishing that they are a superior conference and superior schools compared to Fresno and San Diego State. Like, Fresno and San Diego State have been begging to get into the Pac-12 for their entire existence. And the Pac-12 has always threw their nose up in the air and had, you know, no, not even entertained the conversation. So they, they have made it clear that San Diego State and Fresno State aren't on their level. Now, I disagree. Fresno, maybe. Fresno, I agree. San Diego State, I think, is, is a very high potential program. Uh, and that's, that's the one thing I want to you know, just quickly touch on is that Utah in 2010, like Salt Lake City market was not great. It's still like what, like 30s, like low 30s yeah. right now. It was even lower than that back then. Uh, Utah had won a couple of BCS games, which was great, but like historically, Utah was meh. And and Utah has become a very like there's no denying it. They have become a very respectable program that has had success on a national level. That took 12 years of having P5 resources and branding in the at their disposal, but they got there. And for Utah's a pack a power five program. In, in any sense of the word, like if you take off your BYU fan goggles, right? Utah absolutely is a power five program. They weren't 12, 13 years ago. They weren't TCU was not TCU was in a meh Fort Worth. Nobody cared. Nobody really showed up. They had a little bit of success early with Gary Patterson. Then they had a lot of success right before they went to the big 12. And now they are truly 12 years later, a, a power five legitimate power five program the the difference between utah and byu is that that they had p5 resources for 12 years so give byu p5 resources for the next 12 years give it give houston p5 resources for the next 12 years give ucf p5 resources for the next 12 years those programs are going to get exponentially better 
Right. And, and that's where I think any, I mean, and maybe this is true when you say the, like what they add, like when you add a look at like Fresno or San Diego state or even like SMU is like John Wilner is throwing around like that San Diego state and SMU. Those need to be the two must adds for the PAC 12 to get back to 12 schools, whatever, would you do that? It's fine. I mean, SMU still has the money, right? Money has never been the issue for SMU in terms of donors, which I did not know this. So SMU plays in Gerald Ford stadium. It's not named after that Gerald Ford. It's not named after the president. It's a different dude who went to SMU. Who's also named Gerald Ford. Um, I learned that like two weeks ago. Um, the I this whole time I thought it it was named after the president. Um, but the so they it's like yeah you can add them and give them the resources and give them time. But they're probably any like P five or G five school that you add that has been consistently good at the G five level is like they have that inherent fan support where there's enough mm -hmm. behind them that they can they can be so close and nipping at the heels of everyone oh, who's 10x the resources that as soon as you give it to them they're going to leapfrog ahead because yeah they like look at the kansas like kansas football they've had the resources forever it's just not there right like iowa state had never finished in the top 25 until the covid season right and it's mm -hmm. they have a, a, like you look at these like bought like the wake forests and the syracuses of the world well, and it's like most they of have the all Pac the resources 12. that's yeah. that's the thing is most of the pack 12 like uh i want be, I, I want the big 12 to add at least two maybe four pack 12 schools just because that signifies the end of the pack 12 and i don't really care about ending the pack 12 but that opens up a lot of doors for the big 12 like they own everything west of the mississippi and that's awesome but uh, whatever right forget that look at the like value right arizona is never going to be more than what arizona is right now like we know we have seen for 50 years since they left the whack what included arizona looks like you know what a power arizona looks like right they'll have their years they'll have some support pretty good basketball program pretty iffy football program that's who arizona is and there's no reason to expect them to be any different. We know exactly what to expect from Cal. And that's, hey, if they get Marshawn Lynch and Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun uh, Jackson, they're you know, great. Arizona, Arizona didn't get an indoor practice facility until like last year. So yeah. I, I mean, don't like, know we, why it took them that long, especially because like it's hot. The, yeah. And it's like the family that own, their two biggest donors are the family that owns all of Circle K. And uh, Artie Moreno, the Angels owner, which I don't even, gosh, can we talk about that? Can we take a tangent? Did you see the Angels box score today by chance? I saw that they had they, they, six home runs and lost seven. eight to six. They lost eight to seven <laughs> with seven solo home runs. Oh, like, it is the most home runs hit in a loss ever. <laughs> and the most solo home runs ever hit in a game. But oh, it's funny. like f my life anyway. So it's but like it, the... it just goes to show, right? Like BYU is going to get better. Like you're right. Like these these G five schools that have been added, yeah, it, they're G five schools today, but they are scrappy G five schools that are a lot like what Utah and TCU were a decade ago. And right now, Utah is pounding their chests about how great they are. That's fine. Do it. I you deserve it. Why can't BYU be that in 10 years? Why can't UCF be that in 10 years? They absolutely can. TCU is supposedly the one of the schools that the Pac-12 wants. Like, okay, well, 10 years ago, TCU was a nobody. We, we know what to expect from Oregon State. 
we know what Washington State is going to be as a program. We, we know they're never going to get bigger than they've been, ever. They never mm-hmm. will. Why do we know that? Because they never have. But these other schools, UCF might be crazy good. Cincinnati is probably going to be crazy good. In the state of Ohio, which is an incredibly fertile recruiting ground, you have Ohio State, and you're going to have Cincinnati right there. Like That's how good Cincinnati can be. They'll, they're never going to be Ohio State but there's no reason to think that they can't be close. Like the, that's how good they can be. The ripple effect of adding four Pac-12 schools to going to a 16-team Big 12 would be fascinating to watch because it's like, we talked about this too. It's like, what if, okay, so say you do that and then it's like Oregon and Washington. That's what, This is what we talked about on our last episode, right? Like Oregon, Washington, they're not included in that. Washington, like they are not the same Oregon and Washington today because that doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? Like you, and we kind of mentioned it earlier, it's like, the biggest loser of the latest Big 12 alignment is probably Texas Tech because it's going to be a lot harder for Texas Tech to get kids to go to Lubbock when there's another school in Texas that is in the yeah. same league, right? And so it's I haven't looked, but I mean, that's where you kind of look at like, I mean, Texas Tech was never great, but it's like they had their little run and leech. And then it was kind of like, oh, well, TCU came in and is kind of like they kind of rocketed up to be one of the better recruiting programs because it's like they're in Dallas and it's like mm-hmm. so the like getting a metro school in these com- historical conferences where most things have primarily been in like college towns with diehard fan bases it, it's kind of like a it's a winning proposition for those schools in the metro areas because it's like well yeah you get all this history but you don't have to move out to BFE to yeah. do it. And so like, it'll be interesting to see like, okay, what does Houston's recruiting rankings do and what's going to happen to Texas Tech and maybe Baylor? Baylor, not so much because they're a lot closer. I mean, Lubbock is like four hours from Dallas, like Waco is like an hour and a half. It's not that bad of a drive. Um, We can't talk about, we can't talk about, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, or like with Cincinnati, if depending on what happens with the playoff, and how that ends up shaking out and what the bids end up being and who, how many conferences get what. Like if the Big Ten and the SEC full-on split off and form their own league, which I truly, I do not think that is going to happen because that will become a huge antitrust lawsuit. And then that causes a lot of problems with the entire rest of the athletic departments at all of those schools. And so it's yeah. like, it causes a ton of issues, but so I don't think it's going to happen, but they will basically get to call the shots on what the expanded playoff looks like, but it will still stay joined together the same way the g5 and the p5 are hooked together now but it's like cincinnati being in the p5 like what is that gonna do to indiana and purdue and illinois and it's like if cincinnati starts winning or keeps winning i mean they went to the freaking playoff last year it's like with their winning and kind of going towards the top of the big 12 which they will be as long as luke fickle is there then it's like what is going to happen to the bottom half of the big 10 where there's guys that can play, they could go be a Big Ten starter at a crappy Big Ten school and get like an, you know, oh, there's a random corner from Illinois that you never heard of was an honor men- honorable mention Big Ten and maybe would have considered Cincinnati as like, you know, their third or fourth team when they were in the American but couldn't pass up playing in the Big Ten. But now suddenly it's like, oh, well, I have a clear shot at going to the playoff and it's in a major conference. Like those are the kind of schools where I'm really interested to see like what the fallout is because – and really kind of my whole summation point of this is like, it doesn't, nothing happens in a vacuum. Like it's not, you know, it's like, yeah, you can just say, oh, well, Pac-12 is valuable because they have Pac-12 after dark. Well, if you take four of those schools, now there's Big 12 after dark 
versus Pac-12 yeah. after dark, and ain't nobody yep. going to care about Oregon State and Cal playing each other. Exactly. So, um, we can't talk about all this realignment stuff without giving a shout out to our guy Jason Shear because oh. the Pac-12 future elites, future Big Twelve brother in arms. Hopefully, Jason Jason Shear. If you somehow don't know at this point, uh, he's basically what I am for Arizona's twenty four seven site. And uh, he's gone in on his sources. He says he's got sources that have, uh, you know, that he's connected and he's, he's reported what he believes to be true. And that's awesome. And the, but Pac-12, not only that is he has stuck to his guns. Cause a lot of people that were, they'll report one thing, like the swimming guy. Remember what, what it was like the swimming yeah. dudes or whatever, or like when Greg Swaim is like, this is happening. It's an announcement coming soon. And then it's yeah. like, Oh no, they haven't. And then they back down. And it's like, Oh, well it fell apart the last time. Like he's never said like, this is happening soon. He's just saying, I promise you these conversations are what's happening and this is what they are talking about. That is all he said. He's never, and he's been open that he, you know, he agrees that he's like, I think the big 12 is more stable. The PAC 12 is dying. I'm, you know, like affiliating with the rest of the West coast is a bad idea when football is moving even further towards the Southeast and whatever, like he's made his bias known of like what he would prefer, but he has never predicted anything. He's never said this is going to happen. It's going to happen by the end of the month. He's never said anything like that. So I don't know why people are calling him. I was like, he's making up stuff because he's not shooting from the hip, but the amazingness of him going back and forth with John, what's his face? Calzano at the dude in Washington, which it's one of those things where it's like, you don't understand which most people, a lot of people, if you're not like a PAC 12 fan, had not heard of him until he started reporting on like Oregon's coaching hire last year. And then people were like, why are all the pac 12? Like, why is every Oregon and Oregon state fan calling this dude clown Zano? Like he's got a nickname. And then it's like, now you see, it's like, Oh, it's, he is like John Wilner jr. Which now he and Wilner have a podcast discussing the pac 12, oh, which is gosh. like just miserable. And so th- those guys, the Canzanos, the Wilners, even Stuart Mandel, to an extent, have come after Jason Shear. I have no idea if Jason Shear is accurate or not, but I respect the hell out of anybody who can take the masses on like he has and be like, no, I think I'm right. And I think you're wrong. And you guys can sit here and try to discredit me, but I know what I've seen. I know who I've talked to and I trust my sources. So pound sand. I love that. So shout out to our guy. Jason Shear. Uh, fall camp did start today. Like, let's not let ourselves talk about conference realignment forever and ever. Fall camp started today. We're not going to talk about it. I mean, we will a little, but we're not going to talk about much. Guys, are, guys are flying around. We got the weight yeah. room, the results in the strength and conditioning program look in the best shape of their lives. They're faster. Puka and Gunner are running faster than they ever have. Yeah. Chris Brooks looks like a freight train. Jaron Halls, he can throw the ball 47 yards farther than he could last year. And the defense is just making huge plays all over the place. It's it, it feels, even though it's day one of camp, it feels like it's week three compared to previous years. Did I just wrap Bingo. up every storyline? Bingo. You wrapped up every storyline from today. We'll get more stories. We're going to talk about fall camp as fall camp goes on. But there's nothing to talk about on day one. And everything that is there, every headline, you're going to hear it from a million different outlets. So aside from saying that it happened, I don't see any reason to talk about it. So, well, it happened. Those articles do exist. Go to KSL and read the ones by Mitch Harper because he's the Mitch Harper is the 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 true media guy that is in 
our Discord. That is a longtime, longtime friend of the show. You and I both talk to Mitch daily. And, yeah. you know, it's like, go give him your clicks because they all say the same thing. And this is no knock against Mitch. It's just when you are expected by your employer to write something literally every single day, if not multiple things a day about a single topic, there's only so many things you can do. But yeah. that we do this three times a week in writing and we don't even always talk about sports and we have this show once a week, we have a little more flexibility. So that's why we don't have to do that. But if you are going to go, if you are wanting to read the news coverage, the, the regular news coverage, go to KSL Sports and read Mitch's stuff. Ignore everybody else. Just you, you give your also, love and devotion to Mitch Harper. You could also go to Cougar Sports Insider. And go we to do Cougar a, Sports Insider. We, we do a lot of that there too. But okay. we're not going to talk about it. If you want it, there's places to go get it. Uh, here's what we are going to talk about. I wrote an article on, and this is why you should also go to Cougar Sports Insider and give them hell Brigham because we're different. We look at, we look at football differently. I don't want to go back to conference realignment, but so many of these people, these talking heads that are talking about all of the TV ratings and things like that and breaking it down and telling us what's really true. These are journalists. These are journalists, right? Like these are maybe communications major, they're journalist majors, they're English majors, like they write for a living and they're good at it. That's great. They write for a living. They're not data analysts. They're not data scientists. They don't know the first thing about Python. They don't know the first thing about how to take and interpret data. Like there's no company in Silicon Valley or San Jose or wherever the hell it is that, that, that Wilner is, is, resides. Nobody's courting him to come and run their data analytics department and get into some uh, predictive analytics about what's going to happen with the real estate market. Like nobody's doing that because he's a journalist and he can be a great journalist. That's wonderful. Good for him. But would you go to your mechanic to diagnose your cancer? I don't think so. You would go to a doctor, an oncologist who knows about cancer. So we've got to stop allowing uh, these data or these, these journalists to tell people what the data says because they're journalists, they don't know. Journalists, especially old timers like Wilner, those dudes went to school and like their, their career was built on the beat. Their career was getting a story, talking to sources and breaking a story. Their career was not built on analysis. That's not what they are. So just side note. Uh, and that's why we're different right? We're not journalists. We both are business guys. Like I am at a bank. I do finance stuff. I do product design. We do a lot of technology stuff. Uh, you do data analytics. You work at young tech companies and have worked at many of them. We are starting a tech company together by the name of Boosted. And I think we can talk about it a little bit right now. This we is are a good time. We are combining our passion of sports into a platform that will make sports and donating to your university more fun. We're calling it Boosted. It's going to launch, hopefully, at a school near you very soon. The whole premise of this, let me, let, can, I, can I tell us the foundation? You let's, and I. Let's, uh, for legal reasons, mm. maybe. Uh, so you and I had we talked about this and we've been hinting at this that we've been working on this and we've shared a few screenshots with some of our vips gotten a little feedback and so we are hoping to launch officially launch the website next week and so we do not have any schools signed up yet 
but we are hoping and that it's, you know, you will be able to, you know, you will be able to say, hey, I support the school. I want to do this. And then so hopefully we can go to that school and say, hey, we've got 500 people who've said this. But here's the idea, just so uh, we're not we're not we're not giving anything away here. You and I got really tired of watching BYU lose to Utah. This is and true. and it was five or six years ago that it was like, man, I will guarantee fifty dollars if BYU could end the streak at four. Well, then they didn't. So we didn't have to give $50 to anybody. But then like two or three losses later, it was like, damn it, Garrett, I'm so tired of losing to Utah. I will guarantee $1,000 if BYU can just win. Well, then they didn't win. So I didn't give away And what we were doing is because every time for like, I don't know what, starting in like maybe game four of that godforsaken streak, you and I was we would bet the money line on Utah right. every single game because it was like I don't care, like if we lose, I want to still make money. Like I yeah. will hedge my happiness with mm-hmm. my bank account against this. And so that's what we would do. And and it was like, man, if I could guarantee a win, I'll give fifty thousand dollars. Is what we got to at one crazy point of like, like how much? How if you could if we win the national championship, how much are you going to give? Exactly. So instead of hedging our happiness at the casino and betting against BYU, you and I have taken that mindset. We have worked with a a bunch of people to create a platform that we can kind of put our money where our mouth is. And if I am really, truly going to say, I'll give a thousand dollars to guarantee a BYU win. Well, why not have a platform that actually donates a thousand dollars to BYU if they win? Yeah. So, so here we go. That's boosted. It, that is boosted. It is coming, and not only to colleges. Uh, hopefully, it's coming to everything. And this is, if somehow you are randomly listening to this, we as we launch next week, we will support every FBS, FCS, Division Two, and Division Three football program, and we'll have basketball added within a couple weeks. So yeah, it's coming. Or it'll it be cool. Coming. And it's gonna be hot, and you are gonna, gonna love be it. Really cool. And you need to call whatever school you are a fan of and say, "I want to give you my money, and this is how I want to do it." I want to do it in a fun, gamified way. We have the way to do it. But the point of this is that we are tech people, right? Like we're data people. We are product design people. We understand finance, so it makes sense that we're getting into the the payment space a little bit. All of this makes sense because that's what we do for a career, and and that's who we are at Give Them Hell Brigham. We talk about the things that we know. So as we are sitting here on the opening day of fall camp, which is, it is stupid. We have to stop calling it fall camp. Jake Hatch has mentioned it. Mitch Harper mentioned it today. Can we start calling it training camp? Like I know that's the NFL's moniker, but why can't we call it training camp and get out of this fall camp nonsense? Training camp. Training camp started today. We're not going to sit here and break down the three highlights that everybody saw and the same quotes that everybody listened to. Instead, we're going to give you a unique perspective uh, or, or a unique preview of what is to come for BYU football. And we're going to do it in a way that we know. And Garrett, we know how to make a strategic plan because how many meetings have you sat in whether it be at the end of a year, looking forward to the next year, whether it's you're at a startup and you're, you're working at a new division or launching a new product, how many strategic plans have you come up with or been a part of 
in your 10-ish year career? Mm, I don't know, a lot. A lot? Like yeah, because it's, I mean, now, I, it's funny because, like, the business lingo, like, it changes or whatever, but the new thing on the block is everyone's got their OKRs, right? Oh, it's yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Is your objective and your key result, and it's like, this is, you know, everything of what you're going to do, and it's, you know, you have to plan and do your quarterly it's, goals and your annual goals and break down your annual goals into your quarterly goals, and it's all, they come, someone it's all comes the up same. with, someone comes up with a new term for it. The, they go into some consulting company. They charge you a billion dollars to learn how to do the same thing that businesses have been doing for a hundred years. Yes. Well, we're going to do that today. So we're not going to turn this into uh, like an MBA discussion. We, we, we've got to establish some ground rules. There's lots of different, like you just mentioned, there's lots of different ways to do a strategic plan. There's lots of different like ways to break down what the highlights are of a strategic plan. I got five categories. We're just going to accept those as truth. I did this for give them, or for uh, Cougar Sports Insider specifically for recruiting earlier this week. We're going to do the same thing at a broader level for BYU football. We'll talk about it. But we're just going to accept these five things as the strategic plan methodology. We've got a vision. We've got to come up with a vision statement. We've got to come up with our mission statement. We need our indicators and our outcomes. We've got to de define our approach and we've got to establish accountability. Those are the things that we are going to do today really quickly. It blows my mind, by the way, like some strategic plans can take weeks and it's like, why? Why does this have to take so long? It does not need to take so long. So uh, let's just set the, the premise. What are we looking at? BYU football is joining the Big 12 Conference in 2023. They also have a pretty damn good football team in 2022. So they want to win now. We have to win now. And we have to prepare ourselves for when football matters a little bit more as a member in the Big 12 Conference. So our vision, chime in, our vision is something to the tune of win We've got to win football games and maximize our potential in 2022 while preparing ourselves for future success in 2023. Anything you got to add to that? Uh, no, I think that is it. It's definitely, you know, it's you got to capitalize on what is here today while developing talent for success for 2023 because you're going to lose a quarterback this year right mm -hmm. and it's like you're gonna lose running back chris burks is a grad transfer he's going to be gone uh gunner romney's going to be leaving next year uh puka nakua if he has another good season he's going to take his nfl shot um and because this like is freeland's gone like freeland's like we've got we're number one in returning production right now and mm -hmm. we are going to be far from number one next year so <laughs> right the, there's a lot of replacement that needs to happen. So you got to succeed today while preparing for tomorrow. Right. And so that's, that's our, that's the vision. And what is a vision statement, right? The vision is what we are striving to become. Not a lot of detail, kind of our, our high aspiration. So we want to maximize 2022 while developing and preparing for 2023. Our mission statement, we've got to get a little bit more fine-tuned. The mission statement is a little bit more specific than our overall vision, right? Our mission statement is, what are we going to do in order to achieve that vision? I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. Like, how 
How is BYU going to balance this year? Winning now, preparing for the future. Because to me, it starts at the quarterback position. And I don't know how you can expect Jaron Hall to take you where you are capable of going this year while simultaneously hoping and preparing Jacob Conover to be that guy in 2023. That's the biggest hurdle that I see BYU facing this year. Well, and that is the biggest hurdle. And that's the the thing where it's like, I think we can win 10 games, but if Jaron Hall gets early in the season, I think it's going to be a fight to get to a bowl game. Like that is how important he is to this thing. Mm -hmm. So really the way to do that is uh, the offense needs to drop 50 points a game. Like, we did in 2020 and then Jacob Conover can enter every game at about like the eight minute mark of the third quarter. (laughs) And it's basically they're splitting reps, but not splitting reps, you know? So that's really what it has to happen is you just have to score so many damn points that you can rest Jaron Hall. It's true. Like that's, that's really the only way. And I guess it comes in practice, right? Like fall camp is a really good, Oh, I did it. I said fall camp training camp is a really good opportunity for Jacob Conover to get a bunch of reps with the ones and against the ones, Like, no, they're not game reps. It's not the same, but Jaron Hall knows the playbook, right? right. Like, and, and the coaches know what Jaron Hall is going to do. And so why not give a bunch of reps to Jacob Conover, especially here in these first couple of weeks of camp when, when USF is still a month away. Yeah. And you really in the spring is where, I mean, it in kind of A-Rod in the spring kind of talked about it, that it was like, because there was no quarterback battle in spring, it went from, you need to, you know, where last year it was like, hey, we need, we're splitting reps three ways pretty evenly to it's like seven, you know, like 60, 40, or you may even do like 50, 50, like as, you know, starting camp, it may be like, 50, 50, 50, instead of like, it, you know, where it may have been like 50, 30, 20 to start last year. It's like, you're going to mm-hmm. do 50, 50. And you're like, Hey, we're not even going to bother with QB three. Like you're going to go off with the twos, whatever, do your thing. And it's like, like you said, it's you're developing in practice as best as you can, but nothing prepares you for game speed other than playing in the game um, itself. You know, nothing will ever prepare you that much. And so it's, I think definitely getting, um, getting him up and running and going, and give like now you have the commodity where it's like you're not doing an install because you have somebody who basically in 2020 he was like a coach he was basically a grad assistant since he was hurt that whole season he already played in that offense in 2019 and started a few games he um and then it's like last year obviously he's a starter so now it's like you're not needing to install things with him like he knows the offense so you just need to sharpen him and expand it a little bit but you can you do have the luxury of for the first week or so like okay let's give him you know conover or finnegan whoever it is as many reps as we can against the ones the the other thing i hope to see this year um and it it almost feels i almost feel guilty for saying it because i hate the hockey subs i hate the hockey subs so much where it's like full units of defensive linemen are going and here come here comes DL2. I think that's obnoxious. But I would like to see, I have two things. I would like to see rotations and a pretty heavy amount of rotations, but I want to see it like players at a time, one or two players at a time, not units 
at a time, right? Yeah. Like if you want to take Max Tooley off the field for a series or two and plug in Josh Wilson, by all means, do it. But you don't have to take Max Tooley, Keenan Peely, and uh, Peyton Wilgar off the field in order to get Josh Wilson on the field. You can do onesie-twosie. So I hope we see more rotations like that throughout the year on all sides of the ball because I think BYU has the depth, maybe not high-level depth at every position, but they have the depth, like the drop-off from cornerback uh, one to cornerback five isn't so drastic that it's going to kill you. So I think you could do that onesie-twosies at just about every position. The other thing I hope that we see from BYU this year, when, a, when somebody goes down with an injury, let the person behind them on the depth chart play. Don't move somebody else from another position and fill yes. that gap. Let yes. your guys yeah. grow. You, you have to just take your lumps as they come, and it's going to – you're going to have to probably call, you know, call games, call plays around covering up that deficiency. But really, that is the only way that you can actually build something for the future, right? Because, it, yeah, if you yeah. move somebody over to plug that gap, now you or you and maybe it is, you know, sometimes it is you do have someone who's especially like in the defensive backfield where it's like, oh, well, you can play like either safety position or you could play corner or safety, right? It's a little more flexible there or like a linebacker moving inside versus outside. But right. Mm -hmm. Like, but it's, if you're talking about like moving a safety down to a linebacker or linebacker to a defensive and like, if you're changing levels, right. To plug a gap, it's like, then what do you have behind them? Right. Exactly. And so it's, you can, you can call around and kind of cover for that one position until the person gets caught up to speed or, but if it's like, unless it is just like, well, behind them, there's literally nothing. And it is, we're going to give up 15 yards every play. Like it, the, unless the drop off is so drastic, like if it is a marginal difference between moving someone over and putting in a raw backup who is just got home from their mission, like you got to do it. You got to, yeah, you've got to do it. And, and I think that, I mean, the, if the mission statement, right, is that uh, you're going to play starters to win the game and, and win by as much as you can while selectively rotating in younger players to build experience, if that's your mission statement in order to win now and prepare for the future, I think an indicator is somebody like Jacob Robinson. Let's pretend, like, let's just say, like, it could be any, you know, one of three guys, but let's just say Micah Harper wins the strong safety starting spot, okay? He beats out Talon Alfrey, who's maybe not healthy, like 100% healthy yet, coming back from an ACL injury, and Ammon Hanneman goes down with an injury in fall camp or whatever. So Micah Harper's the guy. Um, everybody comes back and is healthy, but Micah Harper's the guy. He gets hurt against USF, and he's out for a few weeks. The indicator for me of how disciplined the coaches are going to be is – what are they going to do in that situation with Jacob Robinson? Because Jacob Robinson played some safety last year and he played well. He, he did really well. He's clearly better suited to play in the nickel than he is as a strong safety, but he's capable as a strong safety. There's going to be a lot of temptation from this coaching staff, from Ed Lamb, from Elias Tuiaki, to say, hey, Jacob, we need you to leave the nickel and play strong safety rather than just say, hey, Talon Alfrey, you're up. 
Yeah. Like it's on you now. So those are the, like the indicators that I would watch for as, as we watch rotations and things like that throughout the year. That's, that's really what I'm curious to see. If, if, if Connor pay goes down with an injury, are they just going to move Joe Tukawafu over? Because that's great. Joe Tukawafu might be your center number two. He might be better suited to win games right now. But is Joe Tukawafu so much better than whoever is going to be behind Connor Pay? That's a young guy, right? Like, is it, I, I mean, it, I, I don't know who it could be. It could be anybody. It could be Sam Daw for all I know. But if the drop off from Tukawafu to whoever is going to be listed as center two is so great, then 2023 is going to be bleak, right? Right. So if Connor Pay goes down with an injury, I would like to see Joe Tukawafu stay at right guard and let Sam Daw take his lumps, you know, like let or whoever that backup center is going to be. And, and that's, those are some of the things that I'm going to be watching for the most. Uh, PFF does a great job for us because they're going to give us the tool to accomplish this. They track, they track and monitor plays by position. Now um, they're not hundred percent perfect because positionless football is becoming, you know, more and more common, but that's going to give us an idea, right? Like if we see that, Oh yeah, Jacob Robinson, he's lined up in the nickel. He's lined up outside. He's lined up at free and strong. Uh, well, shoot. Okay. He's clearly, clearly being used in places to fill gaps because other guys aren't ready or whatever. Right. But those are some of the indicators that I'm looking for as BYU has to win now and prepare for the future. Um, what other, as we prepare for the future, I would say also that that includes a modest jump in recruiting rankings. And this is, you know, this is something because we've had class size issues, right? That's something in, to some extent, we will always kind of be sandbagged because I think it's just part of the plan that we accept we expect for there to be guys like Puka Nakua or Sione Vicoso who signed somewhere else. And they're like, well, actually I want to be at BYU and yeah. transfer in. So we're going to leave a few things open, which now that sounds bad because they do 24 seven has started including transfers in your recruiting rankings. Um, but, you know, we've talked about this, at, you know, a ton where it's like number 75, getting one four-star guy will, pretty much push you from like number 75 to like number 60 right so it's really in any given year it doesn't really matter that much because you're talking about two or three players but if you're talking about two or three players every single year now suddenly you're talking about six or seven starters which is about a 30-year team that's on the field um mm -hmm. so it's got to be a consistent thing and so i think that's got to be you know i think this year knowing that next year is year one, 2023 of going into the big 12 recruiting behind that it's, I need to see a, in terms of an indicator and outcome, I need to see on the defensive side of the ball, uh, a drastic reduction of players of project players. Like, so no more than three projects and overall, just like I expect this to be the highest rated recruiting class of the Kalani Satake era. Yeah, and that's totally fair. And and the amount of LDS talent in this class also is like that gives you also, that potential. It, it yeah. means like it's it's like this is embarrassing if it doesn't happen. Like yeah, no, that's that's spot on. And and there are some indicators I think that will help us figure out if BYU is accomplishing that. I wrote an article 
I kind of went after what's his name at the trib who uh, Kevin, Kevin, we kind of went after Kevin because uh, he wrote something about like, ah, big 12 recruiting bump, not so fast. And it's like, ah, nope, let's look at actual data, not just like random crap. Uh, it's, it's something, I can't remember what the numbers are, but it's like almost a 150% improvement in the last two classes compared to the previous two classes. So in 20, what are we in from 2022 and 2023, it's 150% improvement from 2020 and 2021 in the number of kids that have competing offers, not the total number of competing offers, but just kids who have them. Right. Um, it's a big deal. That's a big, big deal. Like even this year, um, BYU has done a much better job of they missed out on Hunter Clegg, but they went and landed uh, Simone Davis, right? Like that guy had four or five P5 offers. Yeah, you, you wish you had Hunter Clegg for sure, but Davis is no scrub. Like he's not some raw guy that, that you have no idea what you're going to get from and you're hoping that you found a diamond in the rough. Now that's not to say that BYU isn't going to still have those guys. They just, I, I published an article just tonight. Uh, uh, Andrew Heinig from Oklahoma. He's a big dude. Kind of reminds me a little bit of like Cooper Ross from last year. He doesn't have any offers. He doesn't even have highlights. He's played football. He just has never sought out offers. BYU offered him out of camp. They've offered Matthew Frederick out of camp, tight end out of East High School. Neither one of them have offers. But you look at those two, and it's like very clear. Like, oh, those are those are football players. Those are big, strong, corn-fed dudes who are going to be very, very good. Those are the kind of projects you like. But you gotta you gotta curtail that a little bit, like what you said. Like, okay, great, you've got your projects now. Now let's 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 pull back the reins on the projects. Now you've got to capitalize on other people. Right. If if you fill up your entire class with you know guys like Matthew Frederick and and Heinig, and hopefully you strike gold. But that's a big risk. That's a big bet that you're making, and you could go bankrupt. So so I think you're spot on with that. Uh, we talked a little bit, you know, moving on on our strategic plan approach. We kind of talked about it. Like the approach is you've got to be comfortable letting guys play, but you also have to be comfortable and trust your other experienced players enough that, yeah, you can plug in John Nelson in with the rest of the starting defensive line. And you can trust that as long as John Nelson is playing alongside, I don't know, Zoe, and Tyler Batty, what we give up with John Nelson being on the field, they'll make up for it. So John Nelson could get those valuable reps so that next year, John Nelson can be that guy, right? So that's the approach. But if you do what I think BYU had a tendency to do last year and the year before and say, okay, we're going to put a bunch of walk-ons and a bunch of backups and third string guys on, all at the same time, well, we watched Jackson Dart at USC pick that defense apart. And so you've got to find that balance. That's really what has to happen. I don't mind the rotations per se. I don't mind the other players getting reps, but I don't want to see it all happen at the same time, right? Like that right. just that leaves too many holes and too many things to attack, which maybe that's by design. It's like you you sub in one thing you sub in one guy to get some reps and then the the other play caller you know whoever 
because most staffs, it's like you have one year analyst is there who's like the sub coach, right? Who's like, mm -hmm. he's watching and is like, hey, they just, they subbed in like a, a guy we haven't seen before, you know, at the, you know, left nickel yeah. spot. Like we're going to attack that side. Like, and then the, the play caller is going to attack that side of the field probably because it's like something it's new. He's hasn't been in. He's not fresh. He's probably not as good because he's buried on the depth chart. But do you cause a confusion when it's like, who are all 11 of these people? This, I don't, I don't know who to, it's like is, seven, it's 70 chess. <laughs> well, maybe that's it. I don't know. I, I hate it. If you're going to play seven, 70 chess, like play 70 chess when, uh, man, I don't know when you're, when you're playing Utah tech, like that's the game for 70 chess, but when yeah. you're playing Arkansas, like let's just play regular chess, like, like everybody else does. Amen. Um, and then lastly, we have our accountability. How do we keep, how, I guess, how do you measure this? Uh, you know, I'm all for firing some coaches. If moves <laughs> got to be made, freaking make the moves, man. Like I, it's, that's really what it comes down to, right? Like if, if coaches are doing their job, please pay them. If coaches are performing well, pay them, like keep them happy, do whatever you can to retain them. But if, if there are areas that are failing and you're not both simultaneously maximizing 2022 while preparing, now that's, that's a key word there. It's hard to measure preparation, but you should be able to tangibly tell that your twos and threes and your guys who are going to be here next year are better in practices in December than they were in practices in August. Yeah, and I think this is this year for, I mean, there's a lot of people who, there are a lot of people who have stupidly hated on the entire defensive staff, even back to like 2017. And like, there are people who legitimately with a straight face said that the defensive staff should have been fired after that season and Ty Detmer and the offensive staff should have been given another year. But mm -hmm. I think this year for me, and we've talked, I mean, people know our feelings. We've long said that we believe this defensive staff, last two years, like he's the Robert and I of defensive coordinators. Like mm -hmm. you're, he's never going to be Brent Venables. And, but he is never going to, like, you are going to be in just about every game that you play and you will be, you will perform slightly above average compared to the other team, what they are giving up on any or doing on any given week will be in the above average in terms of toughness of their games, but it's never going to be like lights out, lockdown, whatever. Um, but this year, I feel like this is the make or break season where the seat will have to get hot for, you know, just because it's like the everything with the, especially on the defensive line, right? There is... The defensive line play has not been great for the last three years. That is the position that Lysa Tuiaki coaches personally on the interior defensive line. We got Preston Hadley, who's coaching defensive ends for second year ever on the outside. And now Preston Hadley has Jan Jorgensen breathing down his neck as somebody who actually played on the defensive line and was a defensive coordinator. That's uh, a big addition. J, that we... Obviously, it was at the JC level down at Snow, but he still yeah. was a defensive coordinator. Who That's was a big plays. addition. And is pushing, and then now you also have got added Kevin Clune to the mix last year, who, from all reports, you know, from everything that we have heard, like was very vocal of like, no, we need to do things differently than the way you've been doing things the last few years. And there were a lot of changes last year on how the defense was run, and injuries got decimated. But you know, the entire thing 
got blown apart by the end of the season with injuries, but it's if all of those guys who are walk-ons, you know, your, your projects and you're saying like, this is somebody that we can develop on the defensive line. If they don't develop and they aren't there, then it's like, this is your put up or shut up for me in terms of defensive line play to where it's like, if especially I think in terms of accountability, the hottest seat in the room is probably Preston Hadley because Jan is right there breathing down his neck. And, and, and that's, that's so, I mean, tying our accountability back to our, our vision, right? 2022 has the potential to be a terrific year, for like a, a, an all-time year. This offense is legit. This defense has experience. If on week three, that defensive line, if they get manhandled again by Baylor, and then BYU goes up to Eugene and gets pummeled by Oregon, you make a change mid-season. Yeah. Whether that change is a public, you know, somebody's fired and it's happening like that, or all of a sudden Jan's got a headset on and he's on the field and somebody else is in the booth or whatever, whatever you legally can do, right? Like you make a change quickly because uh, the strategic plan, you're maximizing 2022 while preparing for the future. That means that you cannot jeopardize 2022 by having one position group kill you. So whoever that is, right? Like uh, everybody has to understand that 2022 could be special. The bar has been raised. And if we don't live up to that potential that we have, there will be immediate consequences and ramifications because it's that there's that much potential this year. Yeah. So if I'm looking at, you know, when we're talking about the subs, right? Like obviously last year, Tyler Batty got a lot of run. There was, he had his game against Houston. He's shown the most flashes being, you know, the next Jan Jorgensen, Bronson Kafusi, you know, great BYU pass rusher. It's like, I got to see it from him. This is his third mm-hmm. year back from his mission. He's playing, you know, people are talking about Fisher Jackson got a little bit of run last year, but he's, you know, achieves or like Gabe Summers played as many downs as he's a walk-on who wasn't even planning on playing football. And then it's like, but he's playing as many downs as Tyler Batty did last year. And mm-hmm. more, he played a hundred more snaps almost than Uriah Leotawa did. And it's like, if you're banking on him, he's like, I got to see improvement from him. I got to see improvement from Caden Hawes, who was probably the most consistent of the interior defensive linemen last year. But again, like he was just okay. Like he wasn't great. Uh, Lorenzo Featawa is back um our boy zo he i need him to stay healthy just for him like his uh, for his yeah. just so he can end his career on a high note but yeah, for sure it's like nice mahe has had spurts but again it's like all of these guys that have gotten a lot of reps like they have been just okay but it's i want to see them be better right it's like if you got like if you are gabe summers and you got 400 reps last year during the season if you don't improve this year after you've gotten that much game time, like it's either you're tapped out, which goes back to our, you can't just take every project and make them, you know, turn everything into a great player with coaching that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he does have the talent and the coaching is wrong, but either way that still goes back to the coaching. Cause it's why are you putting all your eggs in the, the wrong baskets? That's part of coaching or you have all your eggs in the right baskets, but you can't, make anything with it 
and your right. souffle is falling apart. All right. So that's the two aspects of it. And so it's, I think if there is no, if there is not progress from the defensive line, then this year, then I think that is the most damning thing for the staff that can happen. And the accountability lies with us fans too. If the offense or if the defensive line comes out and there's lights out, then we all owe Preston Hadley a big giant apology. If the defense comes out and shuts people down and wins the line of scrimmage against Baylor, then okay, Elisa Tuiaki, you you have earned some trust, right? Like the accountability goes both ways. It's not just about punishment; it's about hey, yeah, well done. Right. But that accountability. Even... If you're going to expect that praise when things go well, then you damn well better be ready for that criticism when things don't. Because okay, running down the list here of defensive linemen. Okay, Mangelson, 74 snaps, freshman. Fisher Jackson, 83 snaps, freshman. Tyler Batty, 429 snaps, sophomore. Uh, Pepe Tonivasa flipped back and forth. I think he was a junior or senior because he his transfer, like he's an actual upperclassman. Mm-hmm. Earl Mar- Tuioti Mariner, 459 snaps. He played the most upperclassman. Alden Tofa, his career is a bust, only played 100 snaps, but he was an upperclassman. Uriah, he was a senior last year, 340 snaps. And then you go down to like Josh Nelson, Freshman, 200 snaps. Gabe Summers, freshman, 408 snaps. Caden Hawes, uh, COVID freshman, but he 2020 was his first year playing defense. And, you know, he had 230 snaps, so was banged up a lot. Nice Mahe, upperclassman. Lorenzo was great at the beginning of the year, did great things, but was banged up and only played 100 snaps all season. So it's like, if you look at the vast majority of the snaps came from underclassmen last year, that's a really hard position. Defensive line is a really hard position to come in and compete and be great right away, especially in this system where you, it's like so much on strength and it's just like your body is just not ready to do it and you don't have the strength to do it. So it's like, if they don't take that step forward, then yeah, it's, then that's not the answer. Yep. This was kind of fun, a strategic plan. This, I like our strategic plan. Um, So we are going to, the way we are going to succeed and make everything better, I think we boiled it down to is what it was. We need to give, if we take this out of context by only reading the headline, which is what everyone does in 2022 on the internet, it's fall camp needs to be run by firing Preston Hadley and giving Jacob Conover all of the QB reps with the ones. Is that right? There you go. I mean, more or less. Yeah, I think we got it. We got it, Jeff. It has been a great episode. We are back. We will be back into our weekly rotation now. Um, The uh, head, the newsletters will be, will pick back up to our current, back to our three days a week pace now that we are back in season. Um, And there's just, there's more to talk about, more, more things to happen. And I'm excited. I am ready. We are less officially under a month. It is August 4th. The first game of the season is September 3rd. So we are under a month now until game one. And um, we are under a month now from game one. And it's going to be, it's going to be great. I'm excited. It's going to be wonderful. So until next week, Jeff, give them hell. Give them hell.